we continue our series on the book of Revelation. And before I read the text, I want to tell you the story of Rip Van Winkle. How many of you know the story of Rip Van Winkle? All right? From high school or college or grammar school. And they're written by Washington Irving in the 1750s. Uh, lived a man in the Catskill Mountains of New York State named Rip Van Winkle. And uh, Rip Van Winkle didn't like to work. He liked to play. He'd like to be carefree and loose and uh, drink at the neighborhood pub. Didn't really take care of his farm. Uh, in fact, his farm was the worst in the, in the town. Uh, his kids were disheveled. His fences were broken. His crops were poor because of all the weeds, and he didn't really tend to them. And uh, his wife was outraged by him and constantly nagged him day and night. And uh, so Rip, one day, trying to get away from his nagging wife, uh, takes his gun and says, I'm going to go hunting, and goes up to the woods, sits down next to a tree, and falls asleep for 20 years. And uh, he wakes up from this deep, deep sleep and goes and walks down the road and back into the village and realizes that something's changed. And everybody's dressed strangely and looking at him. He's a big, you know, the whole crowd's all around him now for his clothes. He's got this very long beard. And, and uh, uh, he, his, his house is, is abandoned now. His wife has since died. Uh, now they're talking at this point about the Revolutionary War and the, the, the village inn, which we would drink at, was now George Washington's headquarters for this thing called the Revolutionary War. And uh, everyone's talking about rebelling against King George of England because it's in colonial America. And, uh, uh, but he, he realizes he has slept through a lot of history and uh, has to rebuild all over again. Now, this text is about sleeping and falling asleep. This church at Sardis, says Jesus, is asleep. And it's a call to wake up. Uh, and that's really kind of the theme I want you to have with you this morning as we move along this text here is, is it's written to a church, put the overhead, put the first one, it's written to a church uh, at Sardis in Asia Minor that is asleep. And uh, they're not working hard, much like Rip Van Winkle, they're not working, they don't want to work. They don't want to labor, they don't want to endure, they don't want to persevere. And Jesus says, you're asleep. And he writes to them what is a very hard word, and it's considered one of the most uh, if not the hardest word spoken to any of the churches, of the seven churches in Asia Minor, to whom the book of Revelation was written. And uh, so today's going to be a tough message, everybody. And uh, by God's grace, I will lay it before you, that you'll wrestle with it, and I hope you'll take it home and pray about it and bring it before God. Uh, but this is not a simple word from the throne of heaven. It's one that's going to uh, challenge, I believe, every one of us here, uh, who have any life, you may be asleep, but if there's any life inside of you, something will percolate this morning, I pray. So let's read Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church in Sardis writes, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God. That refers, seven spirits of God refers to the Holy Spirit. It's a long story why, but um, who holds the Holy Spirit, the seven spirits of God, and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. That's the key verse you want to underline there. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. 
for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, amen. Now, this book is written to two groups of people, the book of Revelation. The first group are, are, are people in the church who are, who are suffering because they're faithful to Jesus. They're bearing witness to what is true, and uh, for that, they're suffering. Now, what's going on when this was written, the book of Revelation, the church was under an intense persecution. The word used throughout the book is intense pressure. Thalipsis is the Greek word. And it's crushing pressure from the Roman Empire. Behind the Roman Empire is satanic power. And the Roman Empire spews out lies and propaganda and, and violence and political military power to crush the church. And it's a full-scale persecution now going on in these seven churches, uh, those who are being faithful. And the call here is to those who are suffering and struggling, you hang firm, God's with you, get a heavenly perspective of uh, what really is going on, uh, not an earthly perspective. And, uh, but understand that if you're a true Christian, as you bear witness to what is true, you will suffer. Now, we've mentioned these two verses uh, in the past uh, because Jesus is saying to the church, Philippians 1, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. For him. And a part of being a follower of Jesus is that you will encounter opposition in the world in which you live, regardless of what country you're in, what time of history you're in, because the picture given in Revelation is of a beast. And the beast in the first century for them was the Roman Empire. And behind this Roman Empire, incarnate in the Roman Empire, was satanic power. And confronting all believers all through history is satanic power and a beast. And that's why I like this image of the beast. I'm going to stay with it for the whole series because, again, I used to think that people could handle one point in a sermon. Then I realized it was one point in a sermon series. You know, that 10 years from now, you remember, oh, yeah, what was the one point of that series on Revelation? And you remember, oh, it was about the beast. And, again, this picture of a beast we're going to come to later in, in the book. And uh, he, he's encouraging them that... Part of being a believer is you're granted the gift of suffering. And it says in 2 Timothy, everyone, everyone who wants to live a, life, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everybody will encounter friction. Again, it may not be a formal persecution, but you'll encounter some friction. Again, hopefully not for being an idiot, uh, but, I mean, for genuinely bearing witness to what is true in a godly, humble, meek fashion that you, like Jesus, will die somewhat and bear some consequences. But in your death and suffering is the way the kingdom advances and comes resurrection power. It's not the worldly way. It's the Lamb of God way. All right, that's a whole other thing. Now, so, he, 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 so that's one group. But the second group of people he's talking to are the people like who are in Sardis. And uh, these folks in Sardis, there's no opposition in Sardis. There's no persecution. There's no suffering because they have so compromised with the beast that they've been absorbed by the beast. They're believers. He refers to them as they have life. But uh, uh, he says to them, basically, you have so compromised with the beast that you're about to die completely. 
your witness, your lampstand, your light, your life, you're about to go out completely. And uh, remember, uh, and so, so, so the, the call here, he's going to say, wake up, because you don't realize how much of the beast is in you is the church. And this image of, like Rip Van Winkle against that tree, wake up, says God, because you're asleep. Now, remember last week I mentioned uh, the sociologist, Os Guinness, and his analysis of the culture? And I wonder if we go back to it one more time, because it was so important. And uh, he, he argues, and I agree with him in one of his books called The American Hour, that, that there's a global culture, civilization, I'll call it the beast, that we're all being bombarded with day and night by media, by our educations, by our families, by our neighborhoods, by, by everywhere around us. We swim in the beast. And because we swim in the beast, we can't even see it. If you talk to a fish and say, what's your environment like? Well, I haven't talked to a fish recently, but I know this. If the fish could talk, the fish would not say, it's a lot of water here. In the same way, if you ask people, us, who live in American culture, day and night, we swim in it, what's it like to live in America? We would not discern, most of us, the beast. Because it's our life, it's our world. We don't know anything else. We've been drinking this since we were born. And um, so, so let me just try to contrast what I did last week briefly here. So he writes, Oskinis, the beast today is information. More and more information. You'll get more and more information. The smarter you are, the more degrees you'll get, the, the more power you'll have, the more status you'll have. And, but the Bible talks about the way of Jesus is the way of wisdom which comes from Revelation. The beast today is about convenience. Is it convenient? Well, that's very important to us. Not convenient, I don't want it. Well, the way of Jesus is not about convenience. The way of Jesus is about a cross and suffering. That's why American Christianity has a hard time with suffering. It doesn't fit our culture at all. It's not, it's not convenient. I don't want to be bothered with it. You know, the beast today is about options. How many options do I have? We want to make money so we have more options. The idea of no options is slavery to us. It's oppression to us. Well, Jesus says the way of Jesus is narrow. And it leads to life. The beast today is about time maximization. How can I get the most out of my time? New technology, faster modems, faster cars. Well, the kingdom of God is about prayer, silence, Sabbath, Christian disciplines, wasting time for God. I mean, it's not very productive to sit there in silence waiting on God for an hour. I mean, every, every, every voice of the beast is saying, you're wasting your time. No one's listening to you. You're praying to the air. And so we battle. Okay, the beast today is about comfort. Is it comfortable? It's not comfortable. Huh? I know it's not the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I, it's so much a part of us. And again, I was so interested when our friend from Uganda was here, you know, Pastor Jackson. And again, when you're living in Uganda and you look at America, you know, all he sees is a, a Christianity that's driven by comfort. He says it's amazing whether it's time people go to church to... It, everything is driven by comfort. But he did say... If people in my church had a chance to come to America, 95% would run after the American dream in a minute. Because we want, they want the beast, too. The beast is worldwide now. We don't have ownership because we live in New York. If you go to Nairobi and you're hanging out in that city, the beast is there, too. Because it's part of this globalization, this global culture that we have exported worldwide. Whether it's China or I was reading about Iran today, the values of the Iranian people are ours. The beast and even the mullahs can't stop it, you know. All right, sorry, next on the beast. Uh, come, feeling good. Does it feel good? That's the beast. Well, versus the Bible so speaks about suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You know, the beast today is about happiness. Does it make me happy? Well, it's a long way. Happiness and joy and contentment is the way of Jesus are very different things. 
That's why it says in, in, you could be, in, in, in Revelation, you could be dying for your faith with joy and contentment. may not be happy momentarily, but there's joy there. The Bible speaks of a depth in the kingdom of God. The beast today is about independence. We want to be independent. I'm not accountable to anybody. I'm not under anybody's authority. I don't tell, you know, it's my life. And what's good for me? Well, I'll tell you one thing. That's the beast. That fierce individualism which marks American culture. That's why many churches I know, many pastors don't even try to do membership in their churches. Because they know that people don't want it. Because they want to be independent. I want to, have, I want to pop around. I want to have freedom. I don't want to be under bondage. The Bible speaks about dependence, interdependence, brokenness. We, we sang earlier, this is the air I breathe. It's a long way from the beast. Next one, entertainment. Is it, I mean, churches have to be entertaining or nobody comes. In fact, someone told me I was entertaining. It was scary. You know? anyway, I, don't, I don't mean to be entertaining. I don't mean to be entertaining. Uh, but uh, it's an accident. But... Uh, you know, the Bible speaks about I come and I live my life to serve Jesus and I serve people. And as you, most of us know, we don't mind being servants as long as nobody treats me like a servant. Right? Don't treat me like a servant. I'm leaving that church. No, servants don't understand they're servants. So you treat me like a servant. You didn't say thank you. I'm not bent out of shape because I'm a servant of Jesus. But the way the world is, no, I'm here. Instant gratification. I mean, I have two teenagers. I mean, instant gratification. I mean, it doesn't please me now. I mean, I don't want to deal with it. And that's our culture, impulse buying, impulse, you know, what feels great instantly versus delayed gratification, which is all about, I mean, the gospel is I make choices now because of later. And that's a very eternal perspective, very difficult for our culture. Uh, let's see what else. Skepticism. I mean, some of us are, this is part of the global beast today, but some of us in this room, you are, we are so skeptical, we barely, if we're married, trust our spouse or our own family. But the Bible speaks about a way of living of life that's, that's marked by trusting, not that we're naive, but loving and love trust, love always, always trusts, always endures, always hopes, all things. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. It's a whole different way of Jesus versus the way of the beast. Go on, image and style, you know, clothes, how do I look, you know, versus the Bible. The way of Jesus is about character, substance, and depth. But that's not the way of the world. It's about money, power, looks, Physique, it's not about depth and character. It's about how many degrees do you have? All right, next, the beast today is control. Again, why do, we, why do most of us in we want a lot of money? So I can control more of life. We hate being out of control. We freak out. Well, Jesus says, let go. I mean, the way of the gospel is you let go because God's on the throne. He's in control. And he summarizes in his book that the, the summary of, of the beat or our culture uh, worldwide is narcissism, or basically it's narcissism is me first. My world revolves around me. What's good for me? And that's how I, that's the filter through which I see all of life. And he goes, that's, and that's why I was arguing to you, that is the beast, because Jesus says, no, God is the center of life, and all is to be lived for his glory. As someone said to me this past week, this teenager said, why is it that God wants all the attention. Why does he want all the glory? It seems so egotistical to me. And it was an honest question. I was like, because, you know, she's so swimming in the beast. How dare God interrupt our lives and demand worship and glory and honor to him? But because we swim in this. And so in Sardis, what's happened is is they've, they've so absorbed the beast of their day, which is a little bit different than the beast of our day, 
that they've lost their saltiness and they've been absorbed. Now, I mentioned last week, go to the next, there's this affluence, and I'll put it up again. Uh, again, it's PBS special. I like the word, I, uh, you know, and it's not a word in dictionary, but uh, it's from this PBS series in a book that this is our society. It's like we all have the flu, and we all have the symptoms of this sickness and virus, which is a painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload. How many of you are overloaded in life today? Most of us. Debt? How many are in debt? All right, Good Sense Seminar, Monday, Saturday, get out of debt, get free, all right? Get control of your finance. We've got some great people in our church with MBAs who can serve us to get control of our, of our debt. How many, have, how many have anxiety of all the things you're not doing? And waste, just wasting time, life, resulting from the dogged pursuit of more. You're running after more. You're not even sure of what, but you're going after it wholeheartedly. And... Um, it's almost like there's this religious quest for the American dream. I gotta have it. I gotta have it. And again, it's worldwide. And so, you know, I, I was reading this past week that in 1986, the United States had more high schools than shopping malls. But 15 years later, there was twice as many shopping malls as high schools. That, that now the shopping malls are like the cathedrals of the past. They're places where people flock for a sense of community. That most, 70% of people on a given week go to malls. That's a lot more people than go to churches or synagogues, I'll tell you that. And uh, the big event in our culture is these mega malls. People take vacations just to go to Minnesota, to that great mall in Minnesota, which is the size of 78 football fields. Could you imagine? Or the super mall in Auburn, Washington, which opened up, the day it opened, had 100,000 shoppers. Could you imagine? 93% of teenage girls today rate shopping as their favorite activity. Isn't that interesting? I'm not against shopping, but that is a little scary, isn't it? But uh, you know, the average American has five credit cards, and the average American household is $7,564 in debt. That was the year 2000. That's a lot of debt. Now, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, there's one American that has 1,262 credit cards. Where are you? Where are you? Come forward right now. Just tell me, you know, I just... This would be fun. All right, time you recognize this little kid, Jason. He's eight years old. He lives, he swims with the beast and his family. Um, it's Thanksgiving Day, and eight-year Jason has just finished stuffing himself with turkey, cranberry sauce, and pumpkin pie a la mode. He sits at his personal computer, frantically typing a list of presents that he hopes to receive from Santa Claus for Christmas. He plans to deliver the list to Santa the next day, opening day of Christmas shopping season, of course. Jason's list contains 10 items, including a trip to Disney World, a mountain bike, a cell phone, a DVD player, and several compact discs. Jason is no dummy. He doesn't really believe in Santa Claus, but he knows his parents give him what he asks Santa for, so he gets up bright and early on Friday to play the game. Jason and his mother set off in their car for a, and a half hour later arrive at the mall, already fighting for the remaining parking space the day after Thanksgiving. The mall is jam-packed with frantic holiday shoppers, unwitting and at risk in, a, in an affluenza hot zone, armed with credit cards and checkbooks. And in one store, a crowd gathers to watch two parents fighting over the remaining Dino Man, the latest hot kid's toy, with the body of a weightlifter and the head of a tyrus, tyra, tyranaceros, whatever. Whatever. In a, corner, a in a corner, a mother sobs, knowing she got there too late for her Dino Man. 
She says, I knew I should have camped out here last night. <laughs> On the way home, they stop at Blockbusters to rent a couple of movies so Jason will not complain of boredom that night. And though the day is sunny and warm, unusually so, even the park in Jason's uh, neighborhood is empty of kids. There are plenty of kids in the neighborhoods, but, they're not shop they're, they're, but if they're not shopping, they're indoors playing Nintendo, PlayStation, or on the Cartoon Network. It's a tough choice for Jason, but he's tired of his games, and he has, so he has to turn on the TV. But Jason's living in the beast, as is his family. Now, how do you get free from something like this? And what's happened in Sardis is they just, they're, they're just, they're, they are, look at verse 4. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. What's happened is the people in, 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 in Sardis have been soiled, dirty, contaminated by the beast. Now, question number one. I'm going to give you two questions today to think about. Write these down, and really, you're going to have to go home and pray. Have a quiet time tomorrow on this text before God on how does it apply to me, okay, for your life. So just two questions today. First is, to what extent have I bought into the lifestyle of the beast? That's the first question you have to ask here. Because in Sardis, they had bought into it. Big time. And so Jesus says to them in verse 1, I know your works. He says, I see right through you, people of Sardis. And I know what's going on beneath the surface. You may be doing some works as a Christian believer. But I want you to know something. You have the reputation of being alive. People think that you're alive. But I know, verse 2, that you're dead. It's pretty heavy, huh? Verse 2, wake up. It's like, you ever come to church, maybe the first time you came to New Life, or the first time you went to a small group? People say this all the time to me. Oh, everyone at New Life has got it together. Look around you. I don't know what they're looking at, but <laughs> look around you. Look at them. Look how together everybody is. And I look at my life. I'm, a, I'm the only one here who's a mess who's struggling with this, or they go to a small group and say, oh, I'm the only one here who doesn't have it together. But you know, that, that's because it, it can look like people have it together, but if you're really mature, you know that none of us have it together. None of us, that we're all broken on the inside, with it, hanging on to our Savior Jesus. That's what puts us all on level ground. That's part of maturity. But Jesus goes to these people in Sardis and says, you've got a, a reputation or a name, like you're alive, people think you got it together, but you know what? I know, you're dead. You're asleep. Like Rip Van Winkle, not only that, he says, you better strengthen, he's got a picture of the scene here. It's like Jesus comes up and says, he's shaking them. I, I wish I, I should have put a, 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 you know, a cadaver here, you know, a person. You know, and, and, but the person's alive, they're not dead. And Jesus is coming to this church and, and he's shaking. You would say, wake up. What is it going to take to wake you up? You have bought into the beast, of course there's no opposition here because you're part of the beast. And so wake up and strengthen, get out of bed and strengthen what's about to die. Now, how many of you have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning? Now, the longer you're asleep and not walking with God, the more difficult it is to get up. You know that? If you're asleep long enough, it feels almost impossible to get up and follow Jesus again and do the works he's called you to do. And so he says, in, 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 there's life. You've got this life and power and fire of God in your midst, but you're asleep and life is passing you by. Yeah, you're busy, you're doing stuff, but God's moving, there's activity, I've got a life for you to live, but you're dead asleep. And he says to them, 
Verse 3, remember what you received and heard when you became a Christian. Remember what you received, what you heard. Obey it. And he says, verse 3, repent. Wake up. Get out of bed, Sardis. You've bought into the lifestyle of the beast, and you've got to get up and get out of this thing. It's a very heavy word. Now, he says, if you don't wake up, look at verse 4. If, uh, verse 3, if you don't wake up. Now, Jesus is very aware that they may not get up. Because it's a free invitation to you. It's a free invitation. We don't know what they did. But he goes, now, now what he does, he throws all these threats in. Now, we have to hear these threats. You've got to let the word of God hit you. Because there's two motivations that cause us to change. One is the love of God and his grace. But the other way we change is the fear of God. And they're both needed for different types of people at different times in our history. But what he does here is he comes with some incredibly heavy words. He goes, if you don't wake up, verse 3, I'm going to come like a thief. Now, that, meant, that word, I will come like a thief, was a very big word for those people in Sardis because of their, they, they were built on a big high cliff, kind of like Masada. Have you ever seen pictures of Masada? That the city was high on a cliff, and it was very difficult to conquer for opposing armies. And so they were very confident for all of their history. Sardis was a great city, much like ancient Rome or London at, at its heyday. And so they were very comfortable that nobody could attack them. But they had two events in their history which every little boy learned in their history lessons and everybody in Sardis knew. And that was they were conquered twice, kind of like Pearl Harbor 9-11 for us. And the first was when uh, the king of Persia, Cyrus, in the 6th century, he's like a thief. They weren't expecting it. He sent some messengers and he snuck up the cliffs and conquered the city like a thief. They were totally surprised and shocked. They had no idea and they got conquered. Then 300 years later, they forgot. They didn't learn a lesson the first time. The same way they got conquered that time, some guy climbed up the cliffs like a thief and conquered the city. Twice it happened to them. And so they, they knew this image of being conquered by thieves in the nights. And Jesus says, I want you to know something. That was nothing. Because if you don't wake up, I'm going to come to you at a time you never expected it. I'm going to come like a thief. And he's not talking about the end of history of judgment. He's talking about, you may not be bearing consequences now in your life, you may think everything's honky-dory. You're dead asleep. Life is fine. But I want you to know, if you don't wake up, I will come. Don't you ever doubt it. It may not be tomorrow. It may be a month. It may be a year. It may be five years. It may be ten years. But I will come like a thief. And I will deal with you for having slept when you should have been awake. Not only that, he says, uh, you know, so to, to, to think you're secure, everything's fine, honky-dory, I don't want to wake up. He goes, you are playing with disaster. And then he goes on, he says this incredible verse in verse 5. He goes, he who overcomes, he who repents, he who wakes up will be dressed in white. You'll be justified. You'll be, you'll be before God, totally cleansed in Christ. And he goes, I will never blot his name out from the book of life. Commentators and theologians have struggled with that verse, really, for centuries. It's a very heavy verse, and I, I was tempted to skip it, but you've got to hear it to appreciate this text. Because what Jesus is threatening, he, 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 Jesus is trying to wake us up and wake this church up and saying, you, you, you bought into the lifestyle of the beast, and, and we're going to talk about partial works in a moment, the, the second big theme in this text. He said, you, you, you've compromised, you, 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 you've been absorbed, you've given up, you've quit, whatever. And he's trying, get up! And, and, and to motivate them, he, he says a couple very heavy things. First, I'm going to come like a thief, and then he threatens. He says, don't you take advantage of my grace. I'm a Christian. I accepted Jesus. I know, I know, I know, I know. But, he says, let me, let me tell you something. He goes, Jesus says, if you repent, I will never erase. The word there for erase or blot, verse 5, your name from the book of life. It's such a heavy verse. 
Because the Bible talks about God having a book of life. And it actually comes from those times that the cities had, had, a, had a book, where a book that listed all the citizens of the city. And so if Joe Schmo died, they would erase his name from the citizen list of the city in ancient Israel or ancient Greece. And so that same image is used by God, that God has a book of life. And it's God's book of life. And that God writes names. When you become a Christian, God writes your name in the book of life. Right? That's what the Bible is very clear in teaching that. But go to, go to chapter 21 of, of uh, Revelation, 21, verse 11 and 15, says this. This is a, this is a vision of final judgment. It says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, God Almighty. Earth and sky fled from his presence. Could you imagine that moment? Earth and sky flees from the glorious presence of God. Everybody stands naked before God. And there was not place for them. If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's quite a verse, isn't it? Wait till we get to chapter 21, huh? Thank God we're only in chapter 3. But I want you to catch this image, this theme of the book of life, that, see, God has a book. And uh, it's a great image, because if you ever see someone say, oh, he's going to hell. Well, you know what? It's not your book, all right? <laughs> Always remember, it's not your book to determine the dividing line of who's in and who's out. And the Bible does speak of eternal judgment. I do believe in that, that, that God's not going to force people to be with him eternally who have no desire to be with him. But God does not force anybody to love him. God gives people what they wish who rebel against God, which is eternal judgment, which is given this image of lake of fire. Now, what he, what's so heavy about this text is, you know, we, 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 we've got, I, I, don't, I don't fully get it all, but you've got to hear the weight of it a little bit over you because the, our Christianity, remember that series on Galatians I did in the summer? And uh, we talked about justification and adoption, that when you become a Christian, you, you cross a line. There's an image of here's a line. And the moment that you say yes and you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that he lived a perfect life on your behalf, he died for your sins, you receive him as Lord and Savior, you stand before God the judge, and that judge then justifies you, which means he says, not guilty, you're, you're pardoned, your sins are forgiven, you're no longer a criminal, and you're free. All right? You're forgiven. But not only are you justified legally, it's done, it's an act in time, you are adopted into God's family. That judge becomes your father, and you're adopted into his family. You're now a son or a daughter of the living God. You're no longer an orphan. You're not a slave. You're a son or a daughter. You have a new identity of who you are in Christ. And not only that... You're an heir. You've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And the Holy Spirit's been given you to grasp your adoption. You're a new creation. That's the, glory. That's the gospel. It's great. And it's all a gift. You've received it. Right? We believe that. Amen. And you're not like you're adopted and you're thrown out of the family. You're back in. You're out. You're in. You're out. I mean, we'd be out and in every week. It's a gift. It's all grace. And you know me. I, 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 I like Paul. I... I, I, we, we, we live to the praise of his glorious grace. It is grace is glorious. And we will spend eternity magnifying God for his grace. Yet, in this text, there is a threat to hear. Now, I don't know what to do with it. And that is this. That the unrepentant person who says, I'm going to stay asleep, I don't care. I know God loves me. 
saved by grace, and God, you better keep my name in that book. And God says to you, let's get something straight. Uh, you cannot control me. And that God's gift of salvation, yes, we hear it, we receive it, and there is a sense where we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and we keep it through repentance. And that the unrepentant person who refuses to get up is under threat of being blotted out from the book of life. Again, it's in the text. I don't, I can't, how do you put it all together theologically? I don't know. But we've got to live in the tension of total grace. And see, on this end, at this other time, the importance of our repentance. They're both true. And there's a tension there. And, you know, it's, don't, don't, you've got to be careful. We're all grace and we're irresponsible. We make grace cheap. We cheapen it. And it's irresponsible. And it's like, God's not going to keep your name in the book of life if you don't want to be there. And you want to live another way. And so, there's something here that, that grace on one side, but this is not about fire insurance. This is about a living, vital relationship with Jesus Christ. These people in Sardis are taking it for granted. They're not waking up. They're, they're getting, God's shaking them, kicking them, knocking them over. They won't get up. There are some people, I mean, it's like Judas. I mean, he's right with Jesus in Jesus' face, and he's not responding. What's scary is there's some of us in this room, messages coming from every quarter, but we're so absorbed in the beast, we're like, I don't care. I know I accepted Christ when I was 18. And I know if I die, he's got to accept me. You have to accept me, God. And God's saying, really? Really? And for those who may, may be living that today, you want to hear this word from God. Because he is trying somehow to shake you up and say, let me make something clear here. My grace is not cheap. It cost a great deal. It is free. But it wasn't cheap. And don't trample on it. And, he's, he, he, and so just, can you just hear that? Can you just let it sit on you? I don't have it all the theology figured out. But you want to just let it sit on you. Because he felt a need to shake. And there are other places in the Bible where we see this. So just hold that intention. All right, number two. Second question is this. So the first question is, to what extent have I bought into the lifestyle of the beast? But the second is really similar. And in what area or areas are my works for God incomplete and partial? Now that word is very important, incomplete and partial. It comes from verse 3. Now you've got, you got to go to the, uh, verse 2. And uh, it is a very important word here, or I almost made this the whole sermon, where it says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. They're, they're partial. They're, it's like you're building a building, but you're only putting a, you, you, won't, you won't build it completely. You just build it halfway. He's saying to the people of Sardis, you're doing works for me, but you're only doing it partially. There's no zeal. There's no sense of passion. There's no fire. There, there's no carrying it through. And... One of the reasons he threatens them is that your works are not complete. They're partial. Now, this is heavy. And I want to ask you the question. And I, I had to ask myself the question. Now, I don't, I don't believe as a church uh, that we are like, oh, yeah, you know, we're like ignoring Jesus here, I think, in a corporate way. But I think there's an application for all of us here that we need to really sit with and hear. And, you know, I looked up the word complete. I mean, it means complete and, you know, not partial. But our... Is your life for God, what you're doing as a lifestyle, are you doing the works or the mission, the plan, what God's laid out for you, are you fully doing it? Or are you just saying, ah, I'm doing some of it. 
That's enough. What does God want? Blood? And that's where the people of Sardis were. They did some of it. They just didn't do all of it. And they were like, ah. And so, now, I'm going to give you some examples before I do. I, I don't want to, if you're a, anybody a perfectionist here? Conscientious? All right, for you, just, just don't listen to everything I'm saying, all right? <laughs> because if you over-rely on being right and everything being good and responsible and you're dutiful and you have a hard time like being joyful and relaxing and, and having fun, this, this text will probably destroy you, all right? So, so pull back a little bit, all right? Because this text was not written to you perfectionists, all right, in our midst. Um, and it was not, this is not to be used as text as a basis for legalism. And I can get up here, you know, and it has been used. If you do not complete all the works I've given you, now, you know, I'll get you, you be here, be here, five o'clock next week, you know, and we can get crazy. And churches can use this to make people very legalistic. And now you're working for your salvation. And you get people serving a lot, and some of us come out of churches like that, where it's a works righteousness, where we're working to save ourselves, rather than relying on Jesus to be our savior. And so we don't want to be very careful. We don't go down the realm of legalism. Some of us have been hurt by legalism, where we're trying to earn our salvation. That is not what this text is saying. So don't go. If you've been down that road and you've been so wounded, okay, so, so you want to just bear that in mind. That's not what this text is saying. Nor is it saying don't do self-care. You know, some of us come from church backgrounds where, why are you, why are you having a vacation? The world's dying! You know, I mean, this whole attitude of why are you, why are you relaxing and enjoying a, a Broadway play? Or why are you reading this book, a novel, for joy? There's no room for that. Now, we're not talking about that. That's a fundamentalist, narrow view of life that is not the biblical way of looking at life. And that's not what this text is saying, okay? So, with that aside, I want to just end this with a number of applications, okay? So, it, it's basically like doing this. It's like saying, I, because you got to, each of us has to apply this to your, to your life. It's saying, I do a little bit, for example, with my relationship with God. I do a little bit, Pete. You know what? Every day, you know what? I go to, I go to work, and on the train, I, at least three times a week, I whip out my daily bread. And I read it. And you know what? It encourages my spirit when I go to work so I can be a witness for God. And, you know, every time I go to, you know, I'm in trouble, I call out to God. And, you know, it's true. You're doing a little bit. And it's true. It's a little bit. But when we talk about Christian disciplines of study and being in the Word and prayer and solitude, and you're like, well, that, 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 that's, that's, that's a whole other realm. And so I think the people in Sardis, they're doing something. They're just doing it partially. And I think we've got to ask ourselves the question, like for worship, you know, you, know, you came, you're saying, I came here, didn't I, Pete? I may be half asleep, but I came. Because I was out till five in the morning. I didn't prepare myself to worship, but at least I showed up. Or, you know, I serve. When Linda asks on that fifth Sunday of the month, I, I do it in the summer for three months. That's it. But I do it partially. I, I serve, but kind of on my own terms. But I'm, I'm better than my neighbor. They're not doing anything. No, they're watching the NFL today. All right? Not, you know, and it, you know, or I fast. I'm going to fast. Pete, I'm going to fast. Lent. No chocolate. Lent. No chocolate. And, you know, so it's, I'm going to do a little bit. I'm, I'm in there. You know, or fellowship. You know, I have fellowship. You know, I don't get too close to people because they hurt. You know, I mean, a lot of messes. So I have fellowship. I have friends with a guy at work. 
We have coffee twice a week. We actually pray together. But I'm not getting involved with those people at New Life. I mean, come on now. Every group I get into is conflict. There's crazy people. I mean, you know, <laughs> things go on. You know, it's like I just, I don't want to go there. You know, and so I do a little bit of fellowship. It's not, I confess. I asked forgiveness. I came in late for work. I said, boss, I'm sorry. I'm doing confession. <laughs> Nobody else at work is doing confession. There's no brokenness on those people. But a little bit of my walk with God, I'm doing it. You with me? That's what he's going after here. People in Sardis say, your works, you've got to catch this. I have not found your works complete. So you're doing a little bit. All right, number, you know, another area here is, is I do a little bit with my gifts and talents and time for God. You know, you know, so, uh, you know, the Bible says that God gives us all talent. When, we become a, when you become a believer, God entrusts to you something of immense value and worth. There's nobody like you on the planet. And the, the image is giving gifts and talents and time and resources. And, and it's, it, the, the Bible's image of Jesus in Matthew 25 is incredible worth. And so the question is, what am I doing with that? If God's given this gifts free, you didn't earn them, he just gave them freely to you. What are you doing with it? Well, I do a little bit with it, you know. Some of you here, you know, you're, you're musicians, you're artists, you're, maybe you're a teacher, you're a leader, you're an intercessor, you're, 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 uh, you're pastoral, you're very merciful. I mean, I don't, I don't know what it might be for you, uh, but, but are you partially just, yeah, here's my gift, you know, I, I do a little bit once in a while, when I feel like it. You know, but I've been hurt, I've been hurt, I've been really hurt, I know, we know you've been hurt, we've all been hurt, you know, and they don't appreciate it, I know they don't appreciate it. That's not the question he's asking the people in Sardis. He just wants to know, are you, you personally, completing what God's given you with your gifts, talent, and time? You. Because you don't want to look at everybody else. You can only take care of yourself and be responsible for your own life before God. And no matter how beat up, and everyone who serves God gets beat up, but we will all stand before God and give an account on what did we do with what he had given us as a gift. All right, number three, you know, I do a little bit with my personal issues. You know, I, I love this. I was talking to some fellow just the other week. I said, you know, some pointing some areas of growth that were needed in his life. And I said, why don't you go after it and deal with it, that Christ could change you fully from the inside out. And he basically said to me, because you know what? Life is working okay for me. There's not that much pain, so why bother? And I said, because Jesus wants you to become like him in these areas of your life. And he goes, I know, but it's going to be so much work to let him change me in those areas. I, I, I know. But the point is, you want to complete the works he's given you to do. God's given us all the work to do to let him change us on the inside. You're right, it's, it's a, it, it costs a death to do that. But you say, well, well, my wife's not unhappy, my kids aren't happy, why rock the boat? Well, you're right, you're going to do a partial work. It's just not complete in the sight of God. Number, next one. You know, I do a little bit with my relationships and family and becoming a more loving person. I, I, as I'm a condom, you know, I, I, I'm not resolving that conflict. You know, offend, I'm offended. I, you know, I, I'm just doing it the way my family did it. And then I'm not going to speak honestly or listen humbly or, you know, or, or I resolve conflict in an immature way. But you know what? I, I'm still better than everybody else. And I do it partially. My relationships, my family, and I, in terms of becoming a loving person. And it's just partial. And we accept it because we still say, I'm still better than most people. But I'm, the sorters, they're doing a little bit. But just so you understand, they're just like everybody else in the culture, really. Next one, maybe I do a little bit with my sinful attitudes. You know, uh, you know I'm, critical and, I'm critical and judgmental. Okay, God, I'm critical and judgmental. Sorry. Versus, God, I am critical and judgmental, and I grieve that. The horror of me slicing and murdering your children with my tongue and my heart. And I stand before, I sit before you, and I wrestle of repentance and brokenness for my sinful attitudes, that's a very different repentance versus partially. I'm sorry. Sorry, I can't help it. It's my gifts. 
and my maturity, I just see things so clearly. I know. We know you see things so clearly. All right. I, you know, I, go on. I, with my money. Stewarding my money and materialism. You know, God, hey, you know, hey. And, uh, you know, I'm nothing like my neighbor. You should see what they buy. So, so crazy. And, uh, you know, I, I throw in money. I give, you know. And, and, uh, but there's really no thoughtfulness behind it of stewarding what God's given me, grasping what is this tithing thing? What is this offering thing? What is this? How do I steward this for God's glory? How do I get out of debt? I've got to take this seriously. I mean, I, honestly, not just these habits course in your bulletin. We try to make these courses available of disciplines. We want to say, people, you've got to find out what does it mean to really walk with God in the full biblical sense of the word. And the fact that you've not taken the time to find out what the Bible teaches does not mean you're not responsible. The word is still the word. It's still true. And so I would say, am I doing it? Well, I do a little bit, but am I really doing what God's asked me to do? And the last thing is, you know, do I do a little bit with my orienting my life towards the marginalized, the poor, and the needy, and crossing barriers of, I think, things like racism. Ah, you know, I'm Pete, I'm still living in New York. You know, hey, I'm, am I living in Iowa? Am I living in Kansas? I'm in New York City. When I see someone homeless on the train, I give them money right off the track. You know, I, I put the money in the can. I, I, really, that's tremendous. I mean, it's part, I guess it's a little something, your heart's a little bit moved, but what does it mean for you to orient your life as it says in James 1, that true religion is to look after the widows and the fatherless. That's true religion in, in, in Scripture. And to orient my life in such a way that I really fully carry it through. What does it mean to be a church committed to reconciliation, that we really fight racism and oppression? What does that look like as a people as we try to come together? It takes thought. And you know what? There's a book that was written called The, Amer the Evangelical Mind. And basically what this author said, when I, I agree with these, evangelicals don't think. They just do. They don't take the time to really think deeply about issues. They just want to, what works, what's quick, and what's practical, and they run. And so on deep issues of the day, they don't really take time to reflect and say, what really needs to be done here so I can do fully God's will? And so evangelicals are known for their superficiality because they don't take the time to think. That's a very interesting thought. All right, and finally this. I, you know, I do a little bit of being a witness in the marketplace as a student. Yeah, I witness. You know, if someone's angry at Christians, I say, yeah, you know what? That's not true about God. He's not a bad guy. You know, when push comes to shove, but are you really being fully the witness for God in your area of work or home or neighborhood that God's asked you to do? I, only you can answer that question. And again, I'm not talking about being a nerd, just talking about being a faithful witness to what is true. And finally, you know, I do a little bit of enduring, as long as it's not too painful. You know, most of us, we endure as long as it doesn't hurt too much. If we have to endure too much, we quit. But we do a little bit. And that's where that's what the people of Sardis were at. They just did a little bit. God, incomplete and partial, are you doing completely what God's asked you to do? Fully. And I want you to just take a moment right now and just think and pause and Holy Spirit, give me revelation and insight. Can you just do that? Now, just sit with that. If you can hear through my, I'm just, I'm a person up here, and these are words that I'm saying, human words. But if through these human words, you can hear something of God to you. You with me? Something of the living God speaking to you personally. That means that you're alive. That means that there is some life inside of you. 
And God is saying to you as you're laid on the table, wake up and strengthen what's inside of you that's about to die. Because if you continue sleeping here, the fire that you've got is going to die and it's going out. Because your works for me, your life for me is partial. It's not complete. You've bought into the beast of the empire. And I'm calling you to repent, to turn around, to wake up, to get up. And it's like, you've got to hear this call here. And it's a word of, the word a hard heart is when you can no longer hear. You know your heart is hard when you say, you know what? I hear nothing. That's a hard heart. And the longer you've been asleep, it is true, the more difficult it is to get up. But I want to beg you, I want to plead with you as the worship team, why don't you come on forward, all right, please? I want to beg you, plead with you as a, as a fellow struggler and servant of Jesus to wake up. Today, wake up and get up by the Holy Spirit's blowing and say, he who has an ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches. God's not going to put you in bondage. He's going to set you free. We sang about freedom earlier. But freedom comes in getting up and doing the works that God's asked you to do, whatever that might be. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get, no, and God's got that book of life. Just let's all stand, all right? As a word, let's all stand. And let me, let me just begin with those of you who are believe. I want you, you're, you're, you know you're a believer. Just close your eyes. Everybody, just close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to answer this question before God. In what way, Lord, have I compromised or bought into the lifestyle of the beast? In what ways, Lord, is my lifestyle or what I'm doing in these different areas of my life, whether it's conflict with people or my relationship with you, Lord, or my marriage, my family, my, my, my ethics in the workplace or as a student, in, in what plate, way, Lord, am I not fully following you? Am I just partially doing a little bit? Just a little bit like the people of Sardis. And just ask God to show you what area of your life where that is true. Lord, you say here in this text that there was a few people in Sardis who had not dirtied their garments. But Lord, I sense that in us in this room, we've got a lot of dirt on us, a lot of soiling from the beast of just doing partially what you've asked us to do. So Father, we come and we confess your, our sins. We ask you for forgiveness, Father. As many of us in this room are aware and thinking of areas where we have only partially obeyed you. And we've bought into lies of the beast. 
And we ask your forgiveness, God. I ask your forgiveness. Cleanse us by the blood of Jesus. We come to be washed in grace, Lord. The blood of Jesus just wash over you fresh. And now, the word in the Bible is repent, which means turn around. At this moment, all you can do is just say, oh God, I turn to you. And now whatever's in front of you, whatever a complete work is for you, just pick one area. And just want, you want to obey in one area today. Don't worry about the 30, just one. What's one step God would have you take today? When you leave here, what will that look like? Worship team is going, to, is going to sing over us, all right? And as they're in the choir, and as they're singing over us, just let yourself stay in the presence of God and the Holy Spirit rest upon you to set you free and reveal to you. Let it cut through your life on areas that you're out of order, that need to be brought under the Lordship of Jesus. And then join in. We can join in with us and sing with them whenever you're ready, all right?